thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed Marks, Digital Voices here, and another really interesting podcast for you all today, talking about digital transformation, but from a physician executive, physician leader, and really about the personalization in healthcare that we talk about a lot, but seems so elusive. So Megan, before we jump in, I know you have a youngster at home. And have you ever thought about personalization in healthcare? Like, do you get super personalized healthcare? Like, do they, does everyone know who you are and everything's customized to you or, or how does it work for you and your, your family? Well, we love as a pediatrician. Um, I do feel like the care we've received there has been fantastic um, and quite personalized. But you know, where I'm really surprised and, and see room for improvement is that postpartum care. So Woodson spent some time in the NICU and I was recovering from a, a complicated delivery. I still don't really know everything that happened during that time. And then they just kind of send you home baby in tow. And I've looked through both of our charts and it's just a mess. Um, so it started out kind of rough, but I like where we are now, but that's one area that I would love to see a little bit more personalized. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty interesting, but I'm glad you had a good uh, outcome. So yeah. He's a healthy, almost four-year-old. <laughs> so everything turned out well. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna dive deep into that whole area of personalization in healthcare, and no one better uh, than my friend and longtime colleague Anupan Goel, Doctor Anupan Goel. And uh, Anupan, thank you for being on our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're the medical director for Accolade, and we're going to get into your background here in a second. But I mean, you've been in the industry a long time, really understand and have grasped the power of technology to enable effective clinical solutions, as well as um, help us with uh, the overall value in healthcare and a long time CMIO and chief health information officer. So we're going to get into all that. I'm really excited. But the very first thing Anupan people want to really know is what's on your musical playlist? You know, Ed, I don't get that question very often. So I had to look this up. So I, I've been thinking about this and my, the three songs that are on my playlist are Start a Riot by Duckworth and Shabuzi. That's the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse soundtrack. Bloodline by Ariana Grande and The Monster with Eminem featuring Rihanna. Very nice. Yeah, very eclectic. I love it. And what about your life passion or a message, you know, are there words that you sort of live by that kind of is like guiding light for you as you, as you do everything that you do both personally and professionally? So Ed, I like this quote by Colin Powell when he says, there are no secrets to success. It is the result of preparation, hard work and learning from failure. Yeah, that's really good. I, I love that. Now you have this amazing uh, background. So would you mind providing our audience a little bit of color into your background, both uh, personal and professional, uh, leading all the way to where you are today? Sure. So Ed, as you mentioned before, I've um, been in healthcare for a long time. I started off wanting to just see patients. My father was a physician, an immigrant, and he said, of course, you're going to be a doctor. And I got to medical school and was kind of like, this is not what I thought it would be. I spent a lot of time learning a lot of stuff. 
And clinical care is, uh, in some ways, more a lot of trial and error. If this doesn't work, try this. If this doesn't work, try that, which is fine. Uh, our faculty at medical school said, Anupam, you sound like the kind of person who wants to build trains, not drive the trains. So let's get you into that building space. So I got really excited about clinical evidence generation and epidemiology. So I take a fellowship in epidemiology and outcomes research, and I get really interested in physician behavior. So my first job out of training, I took some research work into electronic medical records. So back then, 25 years ago or 20-ish years ago, all the work was really about um, ordering interfaces. So how do you think about what to present to an ordering provider to make that decision ideal. And so order sets were just coming out. And what we learned was if you show a a doctor or an advanced practice practitioner uh, one of three choices, nine times out of 10, they'd pick one of those three choices. So that selection of what gets displayed really can drive what happens behaviorally. I moved out of research into administration. At my next job, they put me into a managed care scenario where I was asked to help think about improving our pay for performance rates around diabetes testing. And what I said was, let's stop asking the doctor to do everything. Let's have the nurses, when they do check-in, tee up orders for the doctors to then sign. Within our year, our team was able to move from median performance to top decile performance, and we got some awards, and it was wonderful. It was an opportunity to think about how my research translated into real practice in a way that improved operations. The EMR team said, oh my God, you should come work for us over in informatics and stop doing work on the quality improvement side. So I moved over there. I became an EPIC certified physician analyst, and I built best practice advisories and did some work on meaningful use. Uh, The work was helpful. Uh, San Diego was an interesting place where we had the Navy, we had Kaiser, we had the VA and a couple of academic centers along with some large private systems. And we didn't have a regional HIE. And we were able to apply for a large Beacon Award, which was a multi-million dollar federal grant to help connect to these different EMRs into one system. I'm happy to say, you know, even 10, 15 years later, the the EMR uh, HIE is still up and running and people are sharing data in that metropolitan area. During that time at San Diego, I realized that just being a physician was great, but in these larger meetings of decision-making, physicians were often being marginalized. And so you had to get additional education or certification. So I went and got an MBA at San Diego State to say, I can understand what a profit loss statement is. I can read a balance sheet. It was great. It was very helpful. And when the time came, I took an opportunity to be the inpatient CMIO at Advocate Healthcare here in Chicago. So I went from Epic to Cerner, did some great work around inpatient care management, quality improvement. We focused on ICD-10 conversion. One of the things I'm really proud of, and I think you'll appreciate this, is the work we did around moving physicians from telephone transcription to voice to text. The iPhone 6 had just come out and the doctors really loved having the devices. And the transcription from voice to text was just good enough where you could actually do an op note in real time. The docs loved it from the administration's perspective, we were able to reduce transcription costs by about 50% or $6 million over the course of 12 months and sustain that over two years. So really thrilled about that. After kind of running my gamut at Advocate, I moved over to United Healthcare to work as a physician informaticist in the payer space, thinking about how you might display records or information to ordering providers about prior histories or prior claims. And for the past year, I've been at Accolade and I'm currently one of their senior medical directors thinking about ways to incorporate technology into scalable healthcare processes. Yeah, it's very fascinating background and all the different experiences that you've had on the, both on the provider side and payer side, uh, and now sort of on this partner side, payer side. Can you tell us, for those in our audience not so familiar with Accolade, can you 
share a bit about Accolade and then we'll jump right into uh, all things digital. Absolutely. So Accolade is a personalized healthcare company. And so they combine a couple of different elements. Their primary role is employee advocacy, helping shepherd people through the healthcare system. They also have a group that does virtual primary care telemedicine. And they also have a large group that does expert second expert medical opinion for second opinions after a, a scary diagnosis. And so these two things together are combined into this personalized healthcare company. The way to think about it is they are trying to help employers manage their benefits in different ways to help their employees get a better healthcare experience. In Megan's example, maybe when she got pregnant, they would say, hey, Megan, not only do you qualify for getting, finding a great OBGYN who's in network, we can try to find you a breast pump and think about when you might need short-term disability. So this packaging of services in a consumer-friendly way is what Accolade's all about. Yeah, I love just kind of the holistic nature of it. And it's not episodic, uh, but really the entire continuum. And so the, there's a sense like, wow, you know, you know me, I've always been arguing. That's what's been missing in healthcare. You know, our, you know, when I tweet about something about Marriott or American Airlines, they respond to me. They know me, uh, my bank. But whenever I tried this experiment in healthcare, they don't know me. You know, it's, it's always a new ed. Um, and so I start from scratch. So no, I, I love... I love the mission of Accolade and what you're trying to do. So, you know, you've obviously kept up through the years. Uh, you know, you talk about the iPhone 6 and doing voice to text. I mean, you've been an early pioneer throughout your career doing all sorts of things. How do you keep up? You know, how you because people always ask me the same questions like, hey, digital is always changing. There's always new things. How do you keep up and, and you know, remain? So I think, you know, and I think everyone tells you the same thing, right? Just keep reading. So I think the more interesting question is, what do you read? And so I've got a couple of domains I really focus on. Obviously, as a physician, I read a lot about clinical stuff. Uh, you and I are in the health informatics space a lot. I think one of the tricks is to avoid the hype around where funding rounds are and spend more time around what is the underlying technology and is it solving a problem? I think given the last five to 10 years, a lot of dollars have been thrown at problems or solutions that don't have a problem to solve. So being smart about what that looks like. And then the last thing I try to encourage people to think about is the general business environment. As, as other industries move in directions, it's worth saying, how does that apply to healthcare? And what does that mean for us? Um, as you think about, at least for healthcare, as costs keep going higher and higher, other industries have the same problem, education, retirement. What does that look like for them? And what might that mean for us? I like using newsletters a lot and yeah. looking at what people are writing in editorials and then going back to primary sources to say, what are they thinking about so they can extrapolate their own thinking in larger spaces? And the, the last thing I get in this space, I would say, is the piece that helps me a lot is reading passively. And then what do I share publicly, either on LinkedIn or internal company posts and say, does this make sense? Does this resonate? What are we thinking about this in our own world? Yeah, no, that's really good. That, that's super, super practical. And I, I, I double down with you on reading what's happening in other industries. I'm always like, okay, how can we you know, apply this to to healthcare, uh, the underlying technology piece of it uh, is is critical as well. Yeah, I don't get caught up in you know who's the latest supposed unicorn or whatever, and you know because we all know the stories there uh, that, that typically happen. So clearly, digital is is really important, and that, now we're seeing it more and more in healthcare. And we talked about Accolade, sort of the drivers, or you know, for the drivers for Accolade, what you're trying to do. What do you think generally are sort of these other drivers that are taking place that are helping to shape and transform healthcare. So when I think about what drives digital and healthcare, I think about it in three different ways, right? I think the first one we mentioned a couple of times earlier, which is what does the patient expect based on their other experiences? So you talked about the Marriott experience or American Express. So I have this experience and one of them might be texting. So texting becomes the primary modality to communicate with these companies. In healthcare, we're just like texting. Why would you do that? That sounds nuts. Online encounters, right? The pandemic really forced us to go online. And now what we're seeing is a tremendous drop-off in online encounters 
work because physicians as a group are reverting back to what they know. I want to see you in my office on my terms, on my conditions. And I think that's a lost opportunity. We'd love to see more people say, you know what? In many cases, you don't need to be seen face-to-face. There may be some instances where that does help. And to me, one um, opportunity there is triaging to get people to think about, do I need to be face-to-face or can I do this virtually? That's one thing. Another is, does digital signal to anyone, either your internal employees or your customers, that you're about innovation. And so I think a lot of people fall into this trap that digital equals innovation. That's not necessarily true. We've mentioned this before. This idea that innovation doesn't always equal better. It may just be a bright, shiny object that we're chasing without value. And then I want to end with, at least in my perspective, digital can recommend, can help us think differently about scaling. And so I think everyone is facing cost pressures and digital technology can make a difference in in how we deliver care at a lower fixed cost. And so can we do things that are special to us in a way that can touch larger groups of patients or larger customer bases? Yeah, I think there are ways to do that. I will say that the work around front-end patient engagement may not be there yet. It's always kind of, it's coming, it's coming. Where I have seen the most work is actually back office work. Can we manage claims internally? Can we manage internal products? Processes to get someone the stuff they need before they come to a face-to-face encounter. So I think in my head, those are the three ways I think about how digital affects how we think about adoption and scaling. Yeah, you know, on the point, you talked a little bit about this whole concept of consumerism and expectations. And it's true, right? If if I get on an airplane, maybe not the best example, but I get on an airplane and the interior, you know, you could just tell is really old. I'm wondering about the cockpit. I'm wondering, are they, do they yes. have the latest technology and the digital capabilities to get us through the bad weather, to, to land in the dark, you know, without lights? Uh, I, I, I literally do think about those things. And I think consumers, maybe consciously and subconsciously, think about that as well when they approach uh, your practice, their traditional practice or hospital, and they go in there, it's the same magazines from five years ago the same furniture from 25 years ago. And there's nothing, there's no tech like they're used to. And from other industries, they're going to start doubting the clinical uh, efficacy of that organization. Even if that's not, even if there's no correlation at that particular organization, they're going to start doubting it. I know I do. And and I, I think I'm somewhat a typical uh, consumer, maybe a little bit more educated on the digital side, but people have this expectation now. And if they don't see something in your office or or, or your virtual presence, uh, it's going to cast doubts. And, and I think as more and more choice is given, not just to the consumer, but also to their em- with their employer, uh, they're going to be looking for things like that. And there's going to be this ex- expectation, if you don't have it, they're not going to want it. And if it's not personalized, I think we are headed into this uh, great era of uber personalization. And if it's not a personalized experience, I think you're, you're going to be at a loss. Uh, so you, I, I believe you and your organization are, are really at the cutting edge. That's why I'm so happy to have this uh, conversation uh, for you. So we, we talked a little bit about it, but maybe a, a couple examples. You know, what are the pain points that you think healthcare consumers have today that could be addressed through personalization? So, Ed, I think about this in three different buckets. One is we don't really know what high quality care looks like. And part of that is just we have lousy metrics, right? They're developed by a group of experts and closed ivory tower. And they say, thou shalt order A1Cs at some frequency. And a patient says, how does an A1C make me feel better or worse? Does it affect my sexual function? Or does it make me dizzy at night? And those things really don't correlate at all. Another challenge for us is that these metrics are often developed in a way that everyone either overperforms or no one performs. And so you really don't have a sense of who's doing a good job or a bad job. More challenging for us, I think, as an industry is we don't even understand how to measure variation across individuals, much less within an individual. So, for example, in Megan's case, 
who she might determine as a good obstetrician may be different before she delivers, during that transition in the hospital, and then after she delivers. And so thinking about what it looks like across distinct segments is something we really haven't done a great job of. And that might be very meaningful for different people to say, I want this type of doctor before I deliver. I want this type of doctor in my hospital. And I want this type of doctor outside my, after my delivery. Those are all journeys that I think are opportunities for us to think differently around what that looks, around what quality looks like. You know, some people might say, I've got a diagnostic odyssey. I don't really understand what that, what that type of care journey is. Other folks say, I know my four conditions or my three conditions, and I need to get the most cost-effective education or cost-effective treatment plan. So, Ed, you can think about those are two very different types of doctors, and you might need different clinicians for different parts of your journey. And so that, I think, is an opportunity for us to think differently about personalization that is more responsive to where an individual is at, where they are on their journey. Um, I would be remiss not to talk about value. We have a terrible job talking about what is value for your money. Um, We are just beginning this journey around what cost looks like. We talk a lot about complications, but that tends to be limited to surgical interventions. There's a whole lot of other parts of healthcare that isn't just related to hip replacement or even eye surgery. Um, and then this idea about if you had an information, how can I use that information to drive a decision? Let's forget the emergencies. Let's just focus on elective cases. If I know I need an, a hip replacement, do I have enough information today to say I can find a provider and a procedure place that will give me that in, in, in the experience that I want at the cost point that I want? And today I can't even do that. And I think all this leads to this last place, Ed, which I think other industries have done a better job of, is they've become much more platform-centric, which is to say, I'm not trying to own the entire experience for you as an individual. I'm just trying to connect you to the right places to get you where you need to go. So being less afraid of losing patients and leakage and more about, let me get you to the best experience for where you are in the journey. So I think of all those things as opportunities for digitization to get us more personalized where we want to go. Yeah, the, that's a good example and you know that you pulled from outside of healthcare. And there's so much like we've already alluded to uh, that you can get, whether it's from uh, hospitality industry and other where they truly ensure you've got a great personalized experience. And they know they're not going to own, to your point, they'll own every... I'm not going to stay at a Marriott every single time. But when I do, they're going to provide this great experience and, and other options and, and things that I can, can enjoy. Let, let me ask you about clinician experience. So we, we talked a lot about patient experience already in the personalization of healthcare. How do you all look at the, the clinician experience? Because we can't ignore that, right? We hear, uh, we know, and you in particular would know better than I do, but about uh, burnout and the things taking place. So as we focus on, on um, you know, the experience of the patient, uh, how do we address at the same time the clinician experience? Sure. So, Ed, if I think about clinical encounters and this idea of data collection, um, maybe generating new inf- information and then decision-making, kind of those three phases of an encounter, we aren't doing a great job saying, how do we make that experience joyful for providers? And so to, to, dig, to dig a little deeper, part of that is, can we delegate tasks to other members of the healthcare team? Not to say I can't do the work, but it would make my experience so much better if I could say, some of this work doesn't need to be done by someone who's had multiple years of schooling and is really expensive. Can we do this a little differently? Another way to think about this is many parts of a procedure could be routinized, right? So I do the same thing for prep. I do the same same thing for education after surgery. What does that look like? Can I offload some of that? Can I provide some of that in a new way that says, hey, let me help you ingest that. And then let me spend my time with you talking about questions you might have or suggestions that we might be providing you that that conflict with your values or make you feel like you're having a less exciting experience. And then for the, for the provider themselves, can we think about ways to say, here's the routine stuff that you can do however you want to do it. 
here's the stuff I really need your brain power to focus on. Can you craft this experience to be personalized and relevant to the person in front of you? I think it just speaks to the artistry of medicine and helps them recognize the evidence base and then allow them to customize the engagement or the adoption of certain technologies or experiences to give them a better healthcare experience. Yeah, that's good. And HBR recently had an article. So we're recording July, 2022. I uh, had a, had a good article about patient and clinical experience are, are uh, two challenges on the same side of the coin. So you don't lose, if you focus on one, you don't lose on the other, in other words. And, and it was, it was pretty good. Uh, article. How do you? So we talk a lot about personalization now, both on the on the from the patient point of view as well as a clinician point of view. Just now, how do you measure success of personalization? Sure. So I think success looks a couple of ways. I think the simplest one is whatever input I'm getting. Is it a survey question? Is it a social determinant of health? Is it a patient preference? Even if it's a patient's history of a failed treatment, do those inputs lead to a different output? So to me, that's the, the most basic definition of personalization. If you are collecting a bunch of stuff, but it's the same output, that's not personalization. Second, does personalization lead to higher recommendation adherence? So I might do all this work and say, for you, Ed, you should do X. And if you say, that's useless, I'm not going to do it. That's not really personalization either. So the first step is adoption of the recommendation. The second step is, does that adoption lead to improved health? Whatever that looks like. Short-term satisfaction, long-term uh, better utilization. So in my mind, thinking about does inputs lead to different outputs? And do those outputs lead to, in the moment, a different experience? I'm more engaged. And then long-term, better health. To me, that's how it measures success in personalization. Uh, those are, are really good examples. So I'm sure, Anupam, you've been in this situation many times, especially in, in your new role. So you're in a average hospital C-suite. And they're still, and I think the average hospital is still sort of thinking about these things. Uh, they're, they're, they read about it. They hear you. They hear others. They see accolade. And they know they need to do something, but they haven't really done anything yet. What, what would be some advice you might give like as first steps? So someone's listening and they're in the situation and they know they need to move forward, but they're not, like, not sure what to do. What, what are one or two things like first baby steps they might take? So I, I would focus on three things. One is, if you're a C-suite executive at a mid-sized hospital, what are you going to offer in this age of super specialization? When there's centers of excellence, there's academic hospitals with all this prestige, who have a lot of mind share among customers, what are you doing to make your experience unique and special for your patient population? I think second, um, let's not follow digital just to be digitizing digital. Really, if you think about digital as magnifying the work of your human capital, that's probably a more advantageous place for you to spend your resources to make that better. Rather than focusing on the next bright, shiny object, think about expanding your hospital or hospital team's human touch when they interact with the patients and the, the public at large. I think finally, rather than focusing on um, clinical outcomes directly, it may be more helpful to think about increasing trust. And so I think there's been a crisis of trust around the world. And so even when you have employees who are physicians and nurses who are some of the most prof trusted professions in the country, their status as trust holders is being questioned. So what can you do in executive suite to support the interactions that your care team members are having with patients so they can have higher levels of trust? Is that giving them more time to interact? Is that providing more information about what might, have, might lead to questions or about efficacy or safety? Those things that lead to trust maximization, I think, are more likely to lead to long-term adherence, uh, long-term um, engagement, and um, willingness to come back to your hospital over and over again, rather than focusing on one specific line of business or focusing on digital for digital's sake. 
Yeah, those are super, super practical, you know, and, 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 and the ones that you mentioned, you know, ironically don't require a huge amount of investment. So you can't fold your arms and say, well, we can't afford to do that. You, you can. In fact, you must. Otherwise, uh, I th- you're, you're going to be the target of an M&A uh, in a ne- not such a positive way. Now, you, you did say one thing that caught my attention. Well, all of them caught my attention, but one in particular. And, and I wanted to sort of double down on in that you said you were talking about hey, if you're an average mid-sized hospital and you've got these other services excellent, you're competing against. Uh, but you can still... This is what I heard you say, but please, please... Uh, expand on it. Uh, you can still compete if you do these other things you talked about. So you don't, it's not like, uh, woe is me. You, you got to give up. You don't stand a chance. No, because what I heard you say, and again, please, uh, correct me or redirect me or, 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 uh, add, add additional commentary. If you do some of these things that you talked about, you know, the increasing trust, the digital magnification of, of the work that's done, you know, with human capital, really empathy. Um, you can uh, remain competitive. And you heard, you heard that correctly. I, I'll give an example of Walmart. And a few years ago, they did this work where they selected centers of excellence across the country. And they had a couple of sites on the coast and, and I think a couple in the Midwest. And they said, we were going to send all of our employees to these places for hip replacement. And then I think they did bariatric surgery after that. Um, at least for the hip replacement, what they found was no one said yes. Nobody wanted to travel hundreds of miles for their care. They'd rather go somewhere close by. I'm not sure if it was the hospital or their family that was nearby that was driving it. But nonetheless, this idea that I'm not just shipping you off somewhere to get a procedure coming back. Healthcare is more personal. Can I give you an experience that you're going to say, maybe that wasn't the number one surgeon, but maybe it was a top quartile surgeon that doesn't have some huge outcomes, but I'm able to have a post-operative course that makes sense to me. I can follow up with a physical therapist nearby and see my primary care doctor in a way that feels holistic and not disjointed. And so I think to your point, Ed, that's really what we're excited about and using the digital tools to support really personal interactions. Yeah. And one other thing before we uh, close, and I'll, I'll give you the last word for sure, but there's something else you mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to because I've, I found the same thing and I'm, I'm a little troubled by it. You talked about telehealth and that we've seen a regression almost back to the norm <laughs> pre-pandemic. You know, yes. the, the percentages I usually throw out, and, and it's kind of an average. I think you could argue the percentages a little bit. But, you know, we went from 1% outpatient visits being virtual pre-pandemic to some organizations went 80 90%. And since then, we've gone down. I think we're around 10% as an average of averages. And I don't know if we've hit the floor yet or not. Uh, you cited when you talk when you mentioned that that physicians have gone back to what they're comfortable with. Um, you know, any other comments about that? And and how do we turn that around? Maybe it's part of the personalization, offering people choice. Um, but yeah, I was kind of surprised too that we didn't like take more advantage of the situation and and continue down that path. Any other comments about that, or or what, how do you see the future? Yeah, Ed, I, I think there's a challenge around reimbursement. I think there's a lot of public health emergency exceptions. and Everyone's saying, oh, this is going to go away when the PHE goes away and we're, we're not sure what's happening there. I think more interestingly, we haven't been able to help patients understand what that looks like, that can we really do every encounter virtually than we do physically? Maybe, maybe not. And if do I have a process to help you as a patient understand if this encounter doesn't go well, we'll get you taken care of face-to-face at a nearby facility. And so this idea of how you interpret interlace digital encounters with physical encounters, we still haven't cracked that. It really feels like it's still part of the same juggernaut. And so I do think we need to think differently about this. And if I watch the Walmarts and the Amazons, think about how they intercede, they're really focusing on urgent care, right? How do I do this thing and move forward? I think the risk in American healthcare is chronic disease management. Do I really need to see a doctor every time I've got a high blood pressure check? 
How about heart failure? How about depression? To me, that's the, really the, the, the green space or the blue yeah. space or blue ocean to go into to say, can we make this experience a check-in, not a full-fledged visit? Yeah, no, that's, that's great. This, this has been uh, really fascinating for me. I certainly learned a lot uh, speaking with you and getting your insights. I, you know, I do believe, as you do, that the future is all about personalization. Uh, in healthcare. So we did talk about a lot of areas, but I wanted to give you the last words. Is there, is there anything that you want to add on a problem that maybe we missed or anything else that you want to double down on? Oh, sure. Ed, let me just, let me reiterate three points that I made throughout this conversation. One is, you know, you and I have worked in health IT for a long time. Digital approaches are great, but only if they support emissions uh, an organization's missions around higher engagement, more satisfied patients or improved outcomes that are aligned with the patient's wishes. Uh, two, Think about being a healthcare fiduciary, which means, am I acting in the patient's best interests? Can I guide patients to the best providers in our network or even outside our network? Those types of interactions are going to increase trust and probably lead to higher healthcare encounters in the future. And then finally, I think personalization requires some honesty to say, I don't know what you want. Help me understand what you care about. And then use that information to meaningfully adjust a care pathway be it diagnosis, treatment, or even surveillance. If I know what you value, can I get that experience to be personal to you? And then having us think internally about when we have those inputs, how can we adjust care in those elements that aren't evidence-based to make that experience more personal, to make that entire experience more meaningful, both for the patient and the provider? Well, that sums it up beautifully. That's great. Uh, There's so much... uh wisdom and what I call golden nuggets, you know, things that you could actually use in, in your organization and apply and, and to make healthy changes. I, I love the concepts uh, that we spoke about and really the, the intersection of the human element and digital and leading to personalization. So thank you so much for being our guest. It's been so fascinating. Uh, continue to blaze trails for us in the industry uh, to, to better, you know, serve our patients and our clinicians. So thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.